Welcome to Local Logic's Places in PropTech podcast. Today we'll be discussing data and amenities. I'm Sarah Maffey, Head of Industry Relations at Local Logic, and my co-host is Nick Durham of Shadow Ventures. We'll be speaking with Everett Lynn, CEO and co-founder of Amenify, and Roland Hobbs, CEO and co-founder of Stake. Let's jump into the conversation. I think what we're interested in discussing today um, is all about empowering residents, leveraging data to, to empower residents specifically uh, kind of in, in, a, in a prop tech sphere. And obviously, Roland and Everett, I'll let you guys share more about your business. Um, but you guys are kind of front and center, definitely front lines in terms of thinking through what makes sense and uh, delivering value in terms of data to properties to better inform how they're serving re- serving residents. And I think there's just so many paths we can go down in terms of um, how data opens up many opportunities to, yeah, just enhance the resident experience um, in our new new spheres in the prop tech, you know, the, the, the prop tech space, specifically in, in multifamily. And um, I've talked enough, so Sarah, feel free to kind of take it from here. Well, actually, Nick, I'd like you to talk a little bit more, um, just maybe to introduce yourself in, in Shadow. So Shadow Ventures, we're a, a prop tech-focused venture firm. Um, very much a boutique uh, venture firm. So we play at seed stage. We invest in so seed stage, um, you know, companies that uh, are at market with their product and, you know, are demonstrating, you know, what we think is really solid traction early on. Um, we're a little bit nerdier than other VCs. And like, I think Roland and Everett will probably, can probably contest is like we, uh, we're, we're, we're definitely nerds. Like we tend to be a little bit more technical than other prop tech folks who, you know, kind of come from real estate backgrounds and, um, KP is listening in on this call and, and Matt, like they've both been write, writing code since they were 13 years old and, um, can, can kind of share war, war stories about, you know, what it's like be, being in the trenches and building early stage tech companies. So we, we, we very much carry that mentality when we're, you know, um, as operators, when we're uh, thinking through which companies we want to support and how to best support them. And look, like, we're talking early stage, you know, company development. It's all about traction. It's all about, uh, you know, finding customers and, and iterating product to make sure it's really a great fit with the market. And it's truly a 10x improvement on, you know, the solution that the customer is potentially using before. So, um, so yeah, I, um, you know, my background, uh, Sarah, is I, I come from actually more of a construction background for what it's worth. My, my father's a home builder. I like to say, instead of getting grounded as a, a kid and since my room, I was sent to the job site to clean up. And I went to, uh, I, I went to work, I went to work for the family business. Um, and, you know, the, the biggest question I always had was like, why, why does the job site look exactly the same as it did when I was eight years old? It, it, it literally hasn't changed. And like technology is infiltrating all these other industries. But I was fascinated, like construction, I hadn't really seen anything. I mean, you, you know, even early, uh, like I guess later 2000, you know, two, call it 2008 to 2010, like, I mean, you know, there was just so little uh, movement, like pen and paper still on the job site. Like my dad hadn't even started using email. It was just insane, right? So um, that's been kind of my my lens, and I've um, become a little bit, you know, more focused on the real estate side as I've explored this more. 
I'm just really excited about the activity on the, on the, on the prop tech side of the business. And a lot of the deals that I've underwritten and sourced recently have been, um, you know, more, more focused on the prop tech side. So we're seeing a lot of synergy between companies like Medify and, uh, and, and stake and, um, you know, potential, you know, collaboration opportunities there, but, um, also just across the board, if you look at the full life cycle of the real estate process of which construction is one of those pieces, um, there's a lot of network effects and synergies that you get from adding technology in these, each of those pieces of the process. So that's kind of the lens that I view, uh, through. So, um, Sarah, I'll yeah. pass it back to you. Hopefully that's well, helpful. It is helpful. And I think it, it, it's a good way to introduce uh, sort of the, the life cycle of a, of a project or a building um, with each of our topics. I work for Local Logic and we're hosting this series um, called Places in PropTech. And we are a location intelligence company. And we're really, I think, a little bit, you know, earlier on in the life cycle, we're, we're there to help with site assessments and um, uncovering opportunities for developers and investors of multifamily. So we're, you know, a little earlier on in that um, than when you actually have tenants in the building, obviously. Um, but this has been a really a great series to sort of dig into those different uh, solutions that are popping up along that that path. Um, my background, I am, like, really excited for this conversation. Um, I'm coming from commercial real estate, and I've been really thinking and focusing on um, placemaking for quite some time. So just the idea of tenant experience and um, the data that's available, uh, used or not used, or, or what, what we could be using to kind of uh, increase stickiness and improve that experience is really interesting to me. So um, with that, I think let's get started. We've got critical mass happening. Um, Everett, could you ever just uh, kick us off, kind of tell us a little bit about Amenify and um, yourself? Sure. Uh, happy to do so, Sarah, and uh, hello, everyone. Um, and Nick, uh, we've known uh, the Shadow team for several years now, and, and we work closely with them, really. You know, I'll, I'll echo what Nick said about their approach, and it's a lot of fun. My, uh, so I'm CEO of Amenify, which is a platform to power services and concierge support uh, inside of luxury apartment communities. Uh, although we're expanding to HOAs, condos, uh, probably eventually single-family residential communities, uh, really our bread and butter is apartments. And what we will do is provide a staffing solution uh, for cleaning and chores, dog walking, lunch delivery, dinner delivery. And that was really our big breakthrough last year was giving software to ghost kitchens and hiring chefs, hiring drivers, and then, you know, bringing meals to where everybody was in the home. And it's, we capitalize on efficiency gains and really our strategic investors. We've got, you know, over a million units that have invested. We have about 320,000 units um, contracted for services. And it's just a really exciting time for, for the space. Uh, my background, five seconds. And Sarah, I was looking at yours before the call. Like we both came from the real estate industry, so that's where I think our paths have crossed a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then we flipped flipped over to the technology side, um, and and so I, I'm normally in San Francisco. I'm here in our Denver office today, and and just I'm excited to be at the intersection of real estate and tech right now 
feels like it's a powder day on a big mountain is how I think of it. Like <laughs> even when there's competitors for a small niche segment in software here in our industry, it's like the massive, massive uh, competitor is really the status quo. Meaning like, you know, you, somebody else signs up uh, a client, like we compete with Hello Alfred and we really respect what they do. But if they sign up a big client, I'm like, hey, great job, Marcella and Jess, because there's another 90% of properties out there that need something. Mm. And so, um, anyways, uh, hopefully that helps frame it. I'll pass it back to you. I don't want to uh, talk for too long here. No, that's great. Hey, Roland, let's let's pass it over to you. Can you tell us a little bit about Seek and yourself? I'm Roland, uh, founder and CEO uh, of Seek. And Seek rewards renters. We look to make renting more financially rewarding. So we give cash back to renters um, and help them build financial savings. We work in multifamily, single-family, student housing. Um, and I'm going to kind of echo a little bit of what Everett said about it being such a big market. Um, and I think that for men, it's really about finding the right amenity for the, uh, the residents who are coming in. And there's, if you think about how infiltrated something like retail is with all sorts of add-on services, real estate is, you know, easily 10, 15 years behind at this point. So coming into it is really exciting. We really see, um, you know, the goal of right for renting is your largest expense, right? You spend 30, 40, 50% of take-home income, depending on the market you're in, on rent. Um, so obviously different in New York than it might be uh, in other markets, but certainly San Francisco and Denver is similar. These haven't done well, where people begin to dislike the problem. Unfortunately, that's the case today. They're often seen by their resident or renter that they're seen as uh, not very popular, not up and great to be here. And uh, thank you so much. And sorry for the, the wobbly connection. Yeah, it's, that's that's great. I was going to say um, just to kind of segue a little bit into the into the topic for today. So, like again, I think what we're trying to do with this series is really focus um, a decent chunk of the conversation on data. Yeah. And so, like both of what you know, you've described Everett and Roland. Um, you're very, your solutions are very resident focused, right? And so, what, my, my first question, and Everett, I'll tee you up. Um, can you talk about how, you know, when you when you become active on, at a property, you, you mentioned 320,000 units you're under contract with, like the healthy amount of residents that you're servicing. Can you, can you talk about like some of the how valuable some of that data that you're collecting is? For properties to better understand their resident, their, their their residents, their needs, you know what motivates them from a customer experience perspective, and like just how that's how how that's empowering to the actual resident. Uh, sure. So I, I mean, the words data and amenities are really interesting to me. It's I mean, what we're talking about is just like where does the sphere of operating a building overlap with the sphere of a consumer, right? Like. Data is just, hey, who is this person? How might I personalize the experience for him or her? And 
how can we, you know, meet that consumer where they want to be met. Um, and so I'm excited to bounce stuff around with Sarah here in a second around just how valuable data is at a macro level. Uh, and then because Amenify cares a lot about the micro level, we find that personalization varies submarket by submarket. Demographics are, aren't always the same at a community, but we see, you know, 60, 70% overlaps of personas, meaning a uh, young professional downtown, uh, normally would be traveling a lot. They're out of town, you know, three weekends out of four during the summer because the friends are getting married or um, they're traveling a lot for work. Um, you know, we see everybody owning more dogs. They're, they're issuing home ownership. And, uh, you know, all these trends, I think, are favorable for multifamily owners. And now they've got a great opportunity to just, I'd say, reach out and just have a discussion with residents. But in the background, be looking at a, a big data uh and machine learning trend of, you know, what does the persona look like relative to other personas uh, that we see in, in similar markets, similar types of properties? And then what are the behavioral trends that uh, align with keeping the resident at the property? And that's, you know, we view that as, as a win-win. If the resident's happy, they want to stay. If they want to stay, they don't move out. And if they don't move out, then the landlord saves a tremendous amount of money on turnover costs. And Roland, it, it seems like um, a big part of the value proposition for stake is, is really reducing that churn as well. And it's, it's a definitely a, a unique way of approaching it. I don't know if, if he's there, but I'm, well, I'm definitely I'll, interested. I'll, yeah. go to, I'll go to bat for him because yeah. it's something that we, we tried to look at and it's too complex. Meaning, like, it takes an entire company yeah. to do what I think Roland is doing. And I'd say that that's yeah, a very... So I, 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 I agree with Everett on the... This is about being able to... <laughs> oh, you're Roland, you're good. Yeah, sorry, we can hear you now. Oh, weird. All right, I'm so sorry about the weird connection. So, <laughs> thanks, Everett, for going to that. I can hear you guys. So... Um, yeah, I, mean, I think that here's the thing is that you can get folks to be able to stay, it's better to be able to keep a customer than find there. And it's tricky thinking with their wallet first. So that's where we look at the, the finances and how is it that you can make Yes, it's customer experience, but getting that customer data comes in. What is the right reward at the right time to get the right action? And if you can do that, then you start unlocking something really powerful. Think about um, where you've gotten a reward, but it didn't you know, feel like it was personalized to you. Ever mentioned that? That's really perfect. You know, but if you get something that's like really perfect for you because it's for your pet and they knew your pet's name, that's something that's really powerful and it feels like a gift. Similar if you're getting something that feels like, yes, I want to move in there because I feel welcome. I want to stay here longer, um, but really knowing what that right amount is. So I think it's kind of the bottom up, which is what rewards and amenities do well, right? Working from the resident up rather than from market down, where a lot of solutions are today. 
where they're looking at data of aggregates, but they're ignoring the individual. And anything you've seen in digital customer experience doesn't ignore the individual. Amazon's in a big where they are by doing that. They made it by being incredibly personalized. So that's what I think that for us is kind of the, the, the philosophy of why rewards work in, uh, in residential. Um, and you have to be laser focused on what the economic impact is for the, for the owner. One, one of the, one of the questions, um, appreciate that for one, one of the questions we asked last week to our group and last, so last week we were more focused on data for site selection. Um, so obviously, you know, Sarah and local logics wheelhouse, but we, we were, we we're curious, like kind of where you think the biggest opportunities are and, and currently gaps, uh, with collecting data from, from amenities and like Roland, you're, you're speaking to data as a way to move people to new behaviors uh, and incentivize them to act, you know, one in, accor- in accordance with, um, you know, how the property hopes, hopes them, hopes them to act. Uh, but two, like in, in, in ways that's going to benefit them in the, lo- in the long run, right? There's, you know, creating savings accounts and um, all that sort of financial empowerment. But yeah, my, my question to both of you, and um, Roland, maybe I'll start with you this time, is like, where do you think there are gaps um, in terms of visibility into uh, ex- existing data related to residents and amenities? And like, how, how do you think, like, do you feel like stake is, is potentially, um, you know, are you bridging that gap? Um, do you have do you have visions for, you know, improving the transparency and visibility into some of that data? Like, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I'll give a really just straightforward one that we see a lot, which is just contactability. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but um, a lot of property owners don't have good contactability. What I mean is just how do they reach them? Um, email, phone. Uh, you're not expected to be delighted billing me. So there's a that, that's kind of the first thing that if you're able to get somebody's attention. Then you can start offering and build a conversation and build a relationship there. So you have to be able to begin with something that really gets the residents' attention long term. So savings are important, cash immediately is important, but it's about where somebody's going. Are they looking to buy a home? Are they paying down their student debts? Are they looking to go on vacation? Is it their hobby that they're funding with their their savings account? And by understanding that, then you are able to really have a proper conversation. If they really see the, the place they live is just purely, um, hey, this is a place that I, I just call when something's gone wrong, not the place I expect to be delighted from. You have awful contactability and you have a kind of a bad conversation to begin with, right? <laughs> you kind of have this like, uh, this challenge of even being able to, to say hello. So the first part of being able to get a great customer experience is at least being able to understand and get their attention and be able to contact. And I think that this is the beginning. We've seen this in a lot of uh, properties where just at the beginning, they're so used to being able to almost not communicate with their residents that much um, because, hey, they got buyers to be able to put out, you know, there's things to be able to do to keep the building going. But that creates this problem of how do you just even have the conversation? So a reward, the right thing at the beginning can can turn the table, but at the same time thinking long-term, what is the goal for this uh this individual, what are, why are they here? What are they hoping to do? What are their aspirations? You know, yeah, I, I love, I love that. Um, actually, Sarah, Sarah, go ahead. Sorry. No, it, it just makes me think, you know, I was kind of thinking of Everett's comment before about how, um, maybe I'm looking at more macro data and I, I feel like developers and investors are sort of 
you know, at the beginning when you're deciding, okay, you know, where, where should I be looking to, you know, build this kind of community? Um, that's kind of the data that's available to you. But I, I feel like what you're potentially both working with is that more micro data where if you're collecting that on other projects, you could then, and as ever you said, there's like a certain percentage overlap of like these personas across different communities. I wonder if you could almost use that to then reverse engineer your site selection in like a really more meaningful way, because ultimately the, the engagement has to begin, you know, when you're even planning a project. Um, but ever, I'm, I'm super interested to know more about sort of the micro side of what you're looking at. Yeah. Well, the, it's funny that, that big data has taken so long to I'd say percolate through the pipes of real estate because big data sets machine learning is all about pattern matching, right? And what better way to approach success at a real estate site than to just look for patterns elsewhere that work. And uh, I used to work for a, a real estate private equity fund and we would, um, we did a partnership with a, with a hedge fund and we purchased uh, satellite data and <laughs> looked down and, and see what parking lots were, were filled up for major retail REITs. And then we would purchase stock based on that unique information that we, you know, we got, right. It's like an early example of data at a macro level. And I think what's way more interesting though, is if you can be with your consumer in their pocket, in their home, and and be a play a role in their lives on the day to day, and then you're not looking at snapshots of data. You're looking at actually, um, hey, if people are this old, this is what they're shopping for, and this is how we can connect them with services and products in the home. And so if you if we stop thinking about uh, real estate as, as a building centric model, and you're thinking as a resident centric model or consumer centric, you know, I have no ill will to calling them tenants or units. I mean, I, at Amenify, I try to reinforce that these are communities, these are homes, these are families, and as we say residents. But it really applies to any property that has people in it. Um, I think that the, the same logic would apply to a, an industrial worker at an industrial factory, and like they need help interacting with the built world around them. Um, we just focus on the home because we think it's the opportunity to create and nurture a lifestyle. And so... Um, to, I'm trying to circle this back, lay on the plane, back on the, the runway that Sarah took off from, is that the, we're not yet at a point where we could reverse engineer uh, a real estate approach with Amenify. I would I'd rather say that you almost need software to be this malleable layer that can adapt quickly enough to keep up with consumer preference in response. Uh, is like that's the feedback loop and the iterative loop. Um, anytime we're trying to keep up with a resident preference, consumer preference with hardware, I think it's a fool's errand. Um, you know, here in Denver, and I'm looking at the, you know, people here that are maybe listening. I think I can say this without offending anybody, but we've seen operators spend two million dollars on a, a, a trendy hardware amenity like a rock climbing wall, and so we like put up a camera across a a week to see who used it. And it was insane. Like no one uses it. And like, like the, um, somebody somewhere proposed that in an investment committee and, and I'm sure it was a good idea at the time. Maybe I would have, I would have objected pretty strenuously, but I just think of software as the ability to, to install and keep up 
services and, and connect products into a, <laughs> a, an apartment building um, in, in a way that, that real estate just you know, hasn't been able to do yet because, you know, old school industry. Yeah, old school, you're used to doing more tangible solutions. Yeah, and I'd say on that note, let me say one more comment. Is like, yeah. I think it's really funny. I've been hearing people say, like, yeah, we're a tech first. I think that's for a real estate company. Uh, and, oh, sorry, Roland. Let me see. I'll finish this in 10 seconds. Oh, we may have a lag here. I, I say this with love in my heart because I've got so many good friends on the real estate side, you know, smart guys and girls that are like, they're, they're so hungry, so talented, but they just don't really have the resources to say that they're a technology company. So I call them out on it. I'm like, really? Like, how many software engineers? work at your real estate firm, right? How many product managers do you have? Like, what's your sprint cycle like? Um, how do you QA? Tell me tell me about your product manager focus. How do you split those up, right? And, like, the, you know, then they're just kind of like, you're being a jerk, right? And they give me a frown. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'll buy a beer later, right? But I think I think that's where we need to get to is, is that real estate companies need R&D departments, and they need to invest in R&D. The, the stat that I like to throw out is that for ride-sharing, uh, the ride-sharing industry, for every $1 that is spent on payroll, they spend $2.78, it's like two $2.50, something in that order of magnitude, on R&D, meaning they build technology in response to what they are learning. And in the real estate industry, for every $1 that is spent on payroll, three pennies are spent on research and development. And so um, I think that that's got to shift, and that's why we're all here, right? It's like we, we see a great opportunity. And, and I think all of our companies are working on stuff that we would want to see built in-house, but nobody can do it yet. So I just uh, – anyway, throwing that thought out there for the group. I, I, think it's, I think it's worth digging into this a little bit since you, had, since you actually have a front-row a front view into how real estate funds are considering making some of these changes, like since you, you've worked for a private equity fund, like – um, what do you like? What do you think is the biggest hurdle for them to actually move in to becoming a, a you know, more tech enabled, uh, more tech enabled well, company? And I, like, so just in ever, you know, I don't think you've shared your full story. Like, you you came and started to minify um, after you went through that real estate experience and try you, you tried out and minified a couple of your properties, and you're like, wait, why can't this scale? And be you know potentially a bigger thing that you know um, services a lot, you know hundreds of thousands of, uh, of residents um, and multifamily properties nationwide. So like your perspective here, I think is interesting. So if we're talking about solving the problem of, of embracing technology, I, I'm cur- I'm curious to, to dig deeper here. Yeah, and I, I, I'm really excited to hear Sarah's perspective on it. She was at Transwestern for a bit, and but what we saw. Um, so, so Stockbridge Capital was you know, we're in San Francisco. Um, we were about 15 billion AUM, growing to 20 billion AUM when I was there, which is a good amount of real estate, not a crazy sized real estate uh, portfolio. But we had we at least had the capital to invest and to be forward thinking. But at the end of the day, 20 billion AUM, you know, let's just say if it's all in like a, a market like San Francisco or California or Seattle, it's just not that much real estate. And so like, you think about the number of units, the number of human beings that you're trying to effectuate change in their lives. And so it doesn't really make sense to spend millions of dollars on technology you know, for a small group. And so I think that the first problem you're looking at is, is the scale. 
and then the fragmentation of the market, right? You've got you've got an owner, an operator that maybe is um, is is capital intense and says, hey, like I, I do have money, let's invest, but they have a small amount of scale. So then you you bifurcate the market into fee managers, and then the fee managers say, hey, I've got a ton of scale, but you jerks at the ownership level have compressed my industry down to the bare bones, right? Um, it's been a race to the bottom, two percent on on revenue management fees. Great stars of juggernaut just eating up the industry because they can undercut everybody else. And and so there's just no room to create technology to effectively manage it. You know, when Airbnb flips the switch, they're gonna be a juggernaut because they've figured out how to manage a ton of locations and and they're a technology company first. They don't have the headcount. They figured out how to do it with tech. And so like I'll give you a quick data point and then I really want to pass it over to Sarah because I, I think that you know excited to hear her journey you know from real estate into tech. But when Graystar, when Bob Faith bought Alliance, it was like publicly announced as like two hundred million dollars, right? Whole company. It's like the number three largest player in the industry. They're number one, Lincoln's number two. And two hundred million bucks, boom, gone, consolidated. Graystar through an investment, I think in Urbandor, Eric Eccles company shows up on the S1 for the Airbnb IPO. And, and if you look at the stock value today of Graystar's holdings, it's something like uh, a few hundred thousand shares, you know, close to a million shares. Um, they're 0.15% stake. So they're like 15 pennies <laughs> um, where a dollar is 1%. That 0.15% represents like $180 million dollars of value. And so just think about that. A fraction of 1% of Airbnb is, you know, basically offset all of their purchase of Alliance, the number three largest manager. And like, I don't know what that portends for the property management industry, but it's going to be fascinating to watch um, because it's a collision. These are like massive oil tankers, of capital efficiency flowing through LPs and institutional investors. I mean, no one could show up to work at a U.S. multifamily REIT for a month, and that business would be fine, right? And and but now that could change. Um, so that's enough for me, Sarah. <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you know, I I think a little earlier in in maybe the question that Nick was asking, I. I think that what I'm observing is that, you know, unless you are sort of at that massive scale, you might not have, and I think you kind of touched on it at the beginning of it, like you might not actually have the capacity in-house to understand how to, how to do data analytics internally or how to um, choose the right prop tech solutions. There's so much out there that it can, I think it can be overwhelming um, especially if you don't have people on your team who have any ability to make those kinds of decisions or vet those kind of options. Um, and so I guess that's kind of kind of my observation in um, approaching it from sort of a different end. I think property management is slightly different maybe from the acquisition side. Um, but you know, I, I guess my transition from real estate into prop tech was really um, driven by the data that I saw that Local Logic had because I was making these suggestions on asset strategy and 
a lot of times, you know, what you're suggesting is something that traditionally would have been decided based on gut feel. Um, oh, yeah, we should do that. That that seems like a good idea. But but more and more people actually want to use data to back up major investment decisions like the the rock wall is a perfect example of that. How how did they make that decision? Like what? What said that that was going to be a good idea, you know? Um, and so, like, you know, just put that on steroids. Like, why should I redo a lobby? Why should I add, you know, um, a massive outdoor tenant lounge or, or et cetera, et cetera? And I think um, being able to use data to actually quantify the value of the experience that you're creating and that you're surrounding your project with um, was really, really attractive to me when I when I saw the demo of Local Logic and, and here we are today. Um, but kind of along those lines, I was just thinking like you're you're bringing so much more data and insights to the to the owner, to the landlord. And do they know what to do with it? Are you kind of doing some um, handholding or, or education around like how to actually optimize the kind of data that you're bringing to that conversation? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I'm sure you saw this too, where like the, a hard, there's like maybe seven really difficult reasons that are, it's hard to innovate in prop tech. One of the big ones is that you don't have homogeneity in a customer set, right? You've got some customers need squares. Some customers need circles. Some customers need squares and circles. Some customers are like, no, forget that. I want triangles, right? And like, that could be a product. That could be an integration. That could be a, a person, right? Cause it's like, you know, you get there's some smaller entrepreneurial, amazing shops that bootstrap their way up. This is America. Nowhere else I'd rather be. And, uh, like the CTO is the, the guy or girl that like fix the voicemail mm-hmm. for the conference rooms. And you're like, okay, here's, here's a typical software, you know, implementation cycle, you know, please introduce us to XYZ and we'll talk about data security and, and how we carry, you know, uh, cybersecurity insurance. This is our, how we're stocked compliant. And it's sitting there and they're like, it might as well be hieroglyphics, what we're writing down. And like, okay, great. Just. Let me spin my hat around. I'm going to run around the table and then I'll help you roll this out. And that's fine. Like that's what, what Amenify wants to be. Um, but I'd say that that's just exacerbated by another factor that makes it difficult in our industry, which is they don't have any budget. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, Ooh, I'd love to innovate, right? I've got, you know, the joke we make is, is champagne taste, but a Kool-Aid wallet. And, and that's just about the nature of our industry. So we've had to figure out how to pay for the staff that should exist on the real estate innovation side um, in a way where we don't have to charge the client. Uh, I mean, meaning uh, like the, the real estate to us is almost more of a partner. And then we sit down with them and we say, hey, you have data, you have access to the home, you have density of consumers, and here's some major uh, trends in behavior that you're gonna benefit from, right? And, and let's unlock that together. And, and after five minutes, they're like, Hey, this sounded cool when we started, but I got to get back to work. You know, can you just, <laughs> yeah. can, can you go and not screw up my building? Right. Cause don't use the disrupt word. Actually, I'm looking at that. I saw Marielle here, um, from New York. She's wonderful. She's got a great platform. But every time I talk to her, I'm like, Hey, you've got to stop calling it disrupt CRE because they hate the D word disrupt right. to them 
sounds like the power's off, the electricity's off, the Wi-Fi's not working, and it's like negative Yelp review every 7.4 seconds. And so um, we, it's such, yeah, I I, hope I'm trying to answer your question, you know, but it's like, I, it changes with every client. Yeah. Well, I, I, think, I, I experienced that too. It's interesting, Aaron. I think to like all like your perspective on this, I think is is great. I think um, you know you mentioned Airbnb, right? Being a technology company first. I, like when I when I hear you and Sarah talk about some of the you know call it boardroom conversations and just decisioning process, it just seems like the entire foundation of real estate firms and businesses they are not built with it, you know with it through a technology lens. Like it's just, no one's prioritized that the organization has been built in an entirely different way that hasn't emphasized tech. And so like, what do you do? Do you, do you like, do you completely have to rebuild the, the infrastructure of the organization to support a technology first business? Or do you, you know, are there, are there ways to, um, you know, to kind of renovate on top of, of, the foundation that currently exists, retrofit it, and, you know, over time evolve into becoming a tech business. Because we all know where this is going. Like, it's, there's no secret of where where real estate's going and where yeah. every industry's going. I mean, Nick, we, right? we know that. I don't know if everyone on that side of the table has fully embraced that. I, the thing I would just caution against is, you know, I think one of the ways people are trying this on is by um, having sort of a, an innovation role at some level. And it, I think it really depends like what kind of support that's getting from the top, um, whether or not that's sort of just um, like a lipstick on the lipstick on a pig kind of uh, solution to what you're describing, or if it's actually embedded um, because I think sometimes those people might be um, out there finding cool solutions, but they're disconnected from the actual producers um, and the people who would actually be implementing those solutions. And, and that feels really dangerous to me. It feels like it's not actually um, moving the needle in a meaningful way, but I'll, I'll hand it over to Everett. Um, yeah, I'd say it's, I mean, we're early, right? Like it's, you know, we're, we like doing this because it's fun. You know, give it another five years, it's going to be a bunch of bankers and consultants. Like, wow, people have really made a lot of money in prop tech. I'm doing it, baby. <laughs> and, and like, <laughs> you know, we're, we got a bunch of arrows sticking out of our back because we were out there trying to make it happen with a customer segment that's learning with us. They're trying. And my attitude is being from the real estate side, I never liked it when technology people showed up and, you know, I just go and invariably, be some brilliant person from uh, a, an excellent school with an excellent product, but they kind of came in and it was like, a, "Hey, I kind of know better than you, and mm. this is what you got to do." And they, if they came down with like a, the vector of the conversation wasn't productive, and and I think it reached an, the ultimate tipping point with the arbitrage model. Um, and I'll, I'll zoom in on WeWork for a second. Um, is and just think of that as a, a proxy for any arbitrage business, which is, "Hey." You have space, but you're not good at what you do because of some combination of data technology, execution, operation, support. Um, so I'm going to take that space from you. I'm going to, you know, rent it for two bucks, and I'll go out there and rent somebody else for four bucks. And then over time, I'll just have so much control that you have to listen to what I say. 
And I, I thought that was the tipping point. And I just kind of sat back and we looked at it and early and said, hey, no, we're not going to invest. We're not keen on this. We're not going to partner with them because I don't like philosophically, it didn't jive with us or me now still that the concept that real estate people are not smart. It's mm. like, it's no, it's just that we can't move as quickly as a tech company. There's inertia. There's you know, the, the time frames through which we make decisions are different. And so, Nick, your question of does the infrastructure fundamentally have to change? I hope not. I like to think of it like a technology company should think of it like itself like a speedboat that can pull it next to a super tanker and we like shimmy up a rope on the side and then we go into the cockpit and we say, hey, listen, your cockpit's great. We don't want to change course, but we need to start measuring some important things. Let me just let me take this little corner of your cockpit and I'll check in with you once a quarter on these three metrics. How, how does that sound? And and then let me talk with some other people in the control room and the engine engineering room, et cetera. And and I think that that's that's more sustainable in the long term and more pragmatic in the short term. I mean, if I imagine pulling up to the the speaker saying, "I need you to turn 45 degrees before I can work with you," no one would would respond, um, and or you get squished by the super tanker. Right? And so um, our our approach is one that there's just some critical pieces missing. The the one trend that I hope we do see more of is our real estate groups hiring and spending the freaking cash to poach technology product experts yeah. that know how to speak fluently with with software companies because the right now it's like we see amazing people right like I, if this gets thrown back into my face you know i'm going to challenge it because i <laughs> be fake news if the headline was everett lynn CEO of Amenify says CTOs of real estate companies are not doing their job. That's not what I'm saying. But I think we need to hire more and more people to support the CTOs, vice presidents of innovation, um, chief experience officers. Like Cortland is Cortland actually resources Mike Gulls, right? It's like like they actually give him a, a bunch of support and so they can work on cool stuff. So I think it's really just investing in that that part of the ecosystem, not going and saying, Hey, you're doing a bad job or we gotta blow everything up. It's just that they just need more people. Yeah, to to not leave that, to not have it just be one person. And I think also what you're describing is like embedding that team within, like it's a legitimate part of the company. It's not just this like cool new thing that we're trying out. I think, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, having a vision, a yeah, vision, like a cohesive plan, and not and don't like have it be a paralysis analysis, but exactly. just like just thoughtful piecing of it together. I just wanted to mention, um, you know, we have a few people still on the call, and if there are any questions, you can raise your hand, um, and we can totally um, have some time for questions. I think we forgot to do that last time, Nick, so I'm trying to remember this time. Um. (laughs) And I think I've got a better connection now. We had a Verizon blowout on our block on 25th here in New York, so (laughs) I can count the very end. You're coming in nice. and, and, and in real time. This is great, Roland. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. No, there I am. So uh, <laughs> if somebody can be able to figure out a real estate fix for uh, uh, the Wi-Fi connections in New York, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I will. I will say this. Like, I think that um, Everett, the perspective you bring, coming just coming from the real estate side, I think it's. You know, I, I feel like I could pass pass you the mic and just like 
kind of let you go. And but but I think what you're asking for is, uh, you know, maybe it can be distilled down to more thoughtfulness. Um, potentially, you know, not not asking for a significant investment uh, in resources or allocation, but but a reasonable uh, a reasonable and, and meaningful amount that would be able to support you know small steps, you know, to to becoming a more tech-enabled business and. Uh, I think that's a fair, very fair ask, and I think kind of where we stand now, just from my perspective, you know, having, you know, I'd say at least a, a, a third of our investor base is they are they are folks, and they have invested with us because they are trying, right? Mm-hmm. They're not exactly sure what it looks like or how to do it or what the end result's going to be, but they're like, hey, we know we need to be doing this. Like, can you help? And can your founders help? And the answer is yes. Like, we're all kind of working towards the same goal here. Um, mm-hmm. you know, s- survival, serving our customers better, um, becoming more efficient, um, you know, and, and profitable for our, for our own shareholders. Like, I think that's all the same in goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, anyway. So Roland, that's well, a little bit what you missed. And <laughs> yeah, it <was> actually, <laughs> sounds like everybody solved the, the, the problem. So, <laughs> but, uh, I think that what I, what is interesting to me on you, my background coming more from fintech um, and less so from real estate, but I think if you look at the way that kind of castle building that happened in, in banking, right, didn't turn out working so well and a lot of startups came in and were able to move more nimbly and whatnot. So I'd almost say I agree with being able to staff, but I also think that the smaller companies, the ones that may have 10, 20,000 doors, may be able to move more nimbly and be able to reach their renters or their residents faster. Um, and the, I, I think there's an opportunity there for that group um, to be able to innovate and do something that others can't do well. So it's taking data and being able to empower your leasing teams, as an example. So imagine that your leasing team um, has so much more knowledge of the person who's coming in, what their aspirations are, what their goals are with having this home and able to talk to them in that way. Being able to do that, I think can almost happen easier in some of the smaller companies and in the, 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 the super large companies. Um, it just kind of happened in, in banking as well. A lot of the innovation that's coming from mid-tier and then frankly from startups as well, the vendors of the world disrupt payments, right? Um, and well, Bank of America was like, well, you have to have all these different ways to be able to pay. So we are going to put this one little button over here for peer-to-peer payments, you know? And Venmo was like, what if that's the whole thing you want to do? So I think there's some things that can be done there. And I think that innovation from those groups can go up to the, to the bigger uh, companies. The thing that I, I think that real estate needs to embrace much more agile, fast, and then getting data to the front line of who's talking to the resident quicker. So it's not necessarily about huge dashboards. Um, it's about what's the information that's really going to help them quickly um, and help them connect in a personal way with that resident right now to get them to make a key decision. Yeah. And Roland, I just checking out Stakes website and it's cool. I, I really love the product and I'm excited for y'all. What I was going to say is I also looked at local logistics website while we were talking and I was saying like, <laughs> You can tell Sarah has a different customer segment than our companies because it's like, look at all this text and people got to read stuff. <laughs> and, um, we're working on it. I love it, right? Like I want to geek on it. But, you know, Roland and I are like, whoa, that's a lot of text. We need some pictures. And, you know, I don't know about all these big words, right? Like people are busy. 
And so we got to make this as simple as possible. If I can't explain it on a napkin, um, for, because there's such a wide audience. I mean, at a thousand locations, we've got 3,000 to 4,000 on-site staff and the turnover rate is insane. Uh, and meaning like, I think that's something we got to shift in our industry, like investing more for our on-site teams. But, um, anyways, yeah, I was just like, I think Roland and I are probably kindred spirits here and just make it simple. Well, the thing I always uh, like to say, since we're yeah. shadow is on the phone or probably some folks who are listening on, on, on the VC side as well, is that if I had the churn rate that a lot of real estate has, we'd never get investment, right? <laughs> so <laughs> being able to accept as the normal that uh, 50%, 54%, it's the national average on, on renewals, um, is a pretty shocking amount. 30% of those lead to a building across the street. So yes, there's yes. a lot of room to be able to just keep the customers you have, but I, I completely agree on keeping it it's simple and having a universal story that speaks to everybody, uh, the resident, the leasing um, team, the property management team, the asset team, um, all need to be talking about customer experience in the same way. And that's tricky, you know, to be able to get to and get that. Uh, but that's, I think, what anyway, a lot of the customer experience is coming up and PropTech's going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we had to, we've introduced, I guess we'll announce this probably in the next quarter, is we've we've put a lot of resources into a product that allows us to launch communities without the real estate corporate team. And, and that's, that wasn't a necessity. Like it became a necessity just out of you know, our need for local density. I mean, we're talking about human beings that were moving around in markets, you know, delivery drivers, dog walkers, cleaners, uh, chores, maintenance. And so the, I, <laughs> I'm kind of happy about it in the sense where like it's sometimes when the real estate side doesn't move as quickly as we want them to. And I think <laughs> it, uh, that happens where like you just all of a sudden like you miss a budget cycle or uh, Barbara becomes officer at a different real estate group. You're like, Oh my goodness, we just spent four months and we were about to get a contract signed and now we can't go live and XYZ where we needed the density. And so um, I guess I, I'm sharing that, there's nothing more I want for Amenify to be than an R&D department that says, hey, consumers need a lot of love, a lot of uh, support, and and honestly, a lot of resources to support the technology they interact with and you know, going into the homes. Um, but real estate isn't moving at the pace it needs to be. And so I've kind of just said, all right, fine. You know, you know, one out of every two properties has to be in this manual model for us, and we'll do it. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing of having to move from bottom up, right, from leasing team or rental community up to the asset manager at the same time trying to be able to work portfolio down. I think that the the good news for startups uh, is almost the, the fact that you can, I can think of it as like the frogger type of thing, like you end up with one building and then the property management changes and then the <laughs> property manager really likes you and keeps going. Like you can, because there's so much change, it almost introduces you to a lot of new clients very well, but the, that budget cycle side on the, it has to be able to move quicker. Um, and uh, I think a lot of the, hopefully in the next year coming out post COVID and as prop tech's getting larger and larger, that there's more pressure to be able to, how to be able to try things in the right way. I also think that everything you mentioned at the beginning on hardware, there's sometimes the perception that a digital solution is going to be just as hard as putting in a hardware solution. 
and you can write digital really quick, right? It's just digital. Um, and let's, let's do something quickly, see what the results are and then start tweaking what it's doing and being able to think more agilely in that way. We're not, you know, it's not a laying concrete and it's going to be done. We can keep on changing it. So I think it's a mindset shift that's starting to happen of can we do this quickly? But that's what I think that the middle market can do well. The folks who are buying properties really quickly um, can put in a solution really fast in the same way that they're doing value add. Right? They can, if they can change the building and looking to be able to make a fast impact, digital can make an even faster impact. Mm-hmm. And Sarah, I, I, you know, I hope we can just connect sometime. I think local logic is so cool. Uh, and and I, I think so too. I'm, I'm just curious, <laughs> you know, what you're, you're seeing and what y'all are learning. But here's a question that I, I you can answer it any way you like, but from your perspective of real estate, you know, intersecting with tech at local logic, what, what is something that's, that's counterintuitive that you've seen? Or what surprised you the most, right? Because you, you, you were an executive in real estate, yeah. and an executive in, in like the data set that you, you get now at local logic or like what y'all look at is, is so fascinating. I mm-hmm. mean, there's, um, what, what was surprising to you, um, on the tech side after being in the real estate side? Oh gosh. I mean, on the tech side, it's kind of been like drinking from a fire hose. So I totally understand that perspective of it's basically like you're speaking two different languages to each other. Um, And I, and I think that um, one of the things I've really appreciated about being on the tech side is really um, kind of what we were just touching on that, that shift from, I'm not building bricks and mortar anymore. I'm not talking about bricks and mortar anymore. I'm able to actually be agile and think about things in like two week sprints. And, you know, how can we just kind of iterate and failing is not this catastrophic, like, you know, $70 million investment. It's we're just trying things. If it doesn't work, we try the next version of it, you know? And I think that that kind of mindset has been, um, really freeing and very different from what I was used to, um, being on the real estate side. But, you know, I think one of the other things, just sort of the reverse of that is like, sometimes it's baffling to me where I, I can't imagine having access to the data that we bring and not using it. Like once you see it, I, I, that's the part I don't necessarily understand is like, now that I know it's available, how can I possibly not use it when making decisions, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. And you know what I think? Well, the only thing that's going to drive that change is is how capital moves. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's an economic engine. And, like, we can we can talk about nice-to-haves. We can say, hey, like, this is cool. But to me, when uh, asset manager, general partner, LP is including – two or three slides on technology mm. the way maybe the way maybe colony capital is now like when they pitch other uh, endowments sovereign wealth funds hey give us your money they're using technology as an edge over other people that want capital right mm-hmm. and and it's still lip service i mean i won't name names but i know a lot of people that are, are just saying oh like you know technology is a cya investment for me like i'm not including it when i go talk to my board i'm not including that when i go raise fund seven. Um, it's, it's maybe like a footnote. It's like, oh yeah, we splashed some cash into this thing. And I look at that and I say, okay, like, I mean, they're smarter than me at raising money. And, 
uh, in, in that environment, I just think that that's going to be the, the tipping point. And it'll be like anything. It'll be gradually, 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 and then quickly, quickly, quickly. Um, but that, that, that would be my guess. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Local Logic's location intelligence, go to locallogic.co.